You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Ding, ding. Just let him know that if he's going to miss him, I'm going to go for two. <laughs> and with that, the season yes. is on. Uh, well, let's let's set the scene here. It's sweltering. It is, dare I say, swassy at the Minnesota State Fair today. What day is this for, for all of us? Thursday, Friday. This, is, this would be day five of yep. the Minnesota State Fair. Yep, and Friday was a complete mess. My favorite, by the way, I got to tell you. I got to tell you a quick story. My favorite part of the Friday show, without a doubt. Pouring rain. It's thunder. It's lightning. And the lightning is right above us, right? So I'm not talking about off in the distance. Did you guys go in the booth, or did you stay out here like warriors? Matthew and I suggested to Paul Black, our fine engineer, that it might be a good idea to go in the booth. And he said, if you get hit, it's not going to matter. You will die inside or out. So just stay outside. Wait, wait, wait. he basically Paul said the engineer Paul. Yes, he basically said if if this thing gets hit, it's not going to matter where your mics are on if you're outside or in, because we've got the the big awning here, so, so it, you're not going to get hit by a direct strike. So basically, he okay. said he said and plus plus there's a there is if you look to your left a big tower for channel five that would get hit first. Anyway, here's my favorite part. I'd, I'd still rather be inside. I would, too. I would, too. And Paul basically looked at Collar and I like, you big wusses, stay out here. So, anyway, it's pouring, it's raining, uh, lightning, thunder, the whole the whole thing. People are seeking shelter. But not everybody. You still had people walking around the fairgrounds with their umbrellas, staying dry, while lightning is, is striking around us. Now, with pronto pups in hand. Yes. Now, But here's my favorite part. A couple walks by... And they look at us, and they move on. And if you look to your, just slightly to your left, there's a tree right there. She decides, with lightning strikes, it's time for a heater. Well, you want to be sheltered, right? (laughs) So as you're smoking your cigarette, I look over, and this couple is standing right below a tree as she smokes. So she's she's getting poured while... So it's pouring rain on her, and she's lighting a cigarette. And it's lightning, okay. and and so she's got basically a conduit for lightning that she's using as her shield. Well, and didn't someone you were telling me to, someone walked up on stage looking for ponchos and just, like, walked into the control room yeah, in here? Yeah, a guy brought it. So, so it's sort of our fault to a certain to a certain degree. We had a we had a poncho advertisement, $3, right in, in front of us right here. But, of course, they're available to the right, not up here on the stage. Some guy with his two kids and his wife. The wife had the common sense to be like, honey, I don't think that's right. Dude and the kids don't care. He comes up on stage. We're talking, and he's like, is this place for ponchos? Oh, my God. And then the best oh part is God. we've got the back room here. He decides the stage must not, not be the place, so the back room where all our equipment is the place. Yeah, we're just going to go. But, we're just going to go to the radio control section. But here. I told Dawn this. The best part about this whole thing is, and this is why you listen to your wife or girlfriend, right? Because they're the ones ordinarily with common sense. She's just looking at him like, you are the biggest moron I have ever seen. She never <laughs> set foot on the stage. She knew that he was wrong. But I think they were at the point of marriage where she's just punted. And he was at the point in his day at the state fair where he's like, I don't even care. If there's a poncho exactly. back here, it doesn't matter. And so they, so she stood there and looked, and looked at him like, you're a moron, and he's up here Hey, that's the place for ponchos. So we are poncho friendly at 1500 ESPN. Just, you know, I don't know. Stay out of our control room, I guess. 
Let's talk about unnecessary stress to lead off the show here, Judd Zolgan. Yes. Unnecessary stresses in life, in football, such as, oh, I don't know, you got a guy who made about 90% of his field goals, which are the most important thing for your field goal kicker that's on your roster, made one from beyond 50 yards that, at the time, you thought won you a playoff game at U.S. Bank Stadium last year, and you decided, you know what, Uh, we're going to move on from that guy for a rookie who's now missing... 40 to 42 yard field goals in preseason games and essentially getting benched by Mike Zimmer. Preach. I, I did this on stress. I did this on Purple Podcast. I I did this on uh, Saturday morning sports talk from the stage with Collar. I've I've talked about this to death. I just don't get it. I don't get it and and here's the thing. Here's here was my my what I found to be a very rational r- explanation on Saturday. So not just bemoaning this, right? All right, Rick Spielman's job, Rick Spielman goes shopping for Zimmer and the coaching staff to get them the ingredients to what they feel will be a successful Super Bowl team. And when it comes to the shopping cart, you're getting all of this intricate defensive stuff, right? Like Mike says, bring me this, bring me that, I'll develop him. I got patience with this. Offensively, I think there's some of that. But when you get to the part of the grocery store where you're like, okay, what does Zim need here? The kickers should be a healthy choice. It should be something that Mike Zimmer can put in the microwave, not worry about. Five minutes goes by, and he can eat it, right? Yeah, you don't, you don't need or, – or, or let, me, let me add another uh, dumb store analogy here too, okay? All you need is a bookshelf, okay? Yep. You just need a bookshelf. Yeah. Don't go to Ikea where you have to assemble 19 different things and sure. drive Jackson right. Just like go buy a bookshelf already stocked, ready to go. You're, you're worried about all these other rooms in the house. You're worried about, you're worried about the, uh, the acreage on the outside, right? And you're worried about the mortgage and all these things. I just, I just need something in the corner here. I, the kicker is the book. Just don't, don't worry sure. about it. Sure, yes. And, just, uh, but why would you get Mike Zimmer, who clearly... If and I am not comparing uh, Ticey and Zimmer as, as coaches, but clearly they both have in their lives limited patience for certain things. And kicker is one, and I completely get that. If you decided that Kai Forbath was not the guy, which you know what, you might have decided he missed eight extra points. I can't take it. Then I think you go out and you cut Kai Forbath and get a veteran kicker. But Daniel Carlson, after Friday's game, looked to be nearly in tears. I mean, he was shaken. I don't blame him. He's a 23-year-old kid coming off a bad season at Auburn, and now you've given him this crusty lifer of a football coach who has no time for kickers, and he's supposed to just go do this job. If I'm the Vikings, I I think there has to be a serious discussion about did we just make a mistake here? And and that does not come back to the fact that Daniel Carlson eventually could not be good. No. This is just not the team nor the time to try this. This feels this feels very ego driven, doesn't it? Okay, we identified this guy. He struggled as a senior in college, yet we still drafted him in the fifth round, as opposed to waiting until the undrafted portion. Right? If Daniel Carlson was an undrafted kicker, would he have won this competition? Because if the answer is no then it's 100% ego-driven. The answer is no. It's a sunk cost already. And, I, and, maybe, and maybe he winds up being a good kicker. I don't know. But you know what you have in Kai Forbath. And if maybe somebody who's, who's smarter about kicker math and kicker ranks, it's a little bit like Matt Dumba to me where you focus so much on the turnovers, but then to the point where you think that the turnovers overshadow all the other great things that he does. Right. Okay, the missed extra points are definitely annoying. And, and you don't want them 
to happen, especially in big games. But they don't overshadow how many field goals he's made percentage-wise with you over the past two seasons. No. I'm talking about Kai Forbath here. So no, um, it feel, if, if the answer right. is, well, you know, even if Daniel Carlson was undrafted and we just brought him into camp as an undrafted kicker, he, if you can say with a straight face, 100%, yes, he he would have won the kicking competition. Yeah. Okay, then then maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that's the case. And Collar's point is, and and I totally get this, that preseason is not predictive, and I get that. But my point that I keep coming back to, and it's the only point, and to me it's the most important one, is Mike Zimmer is not going to have time for this. Like you are, you've got, Spielman has this really good coach and employee and he knows him, right? Yeah. So this is not a surprise. This is not a first-year thing. And and it's clear that Mike has no patience for Carlson or rookie kickers or kickers in general. You need a longwell type right now. You need a guy who, if he misses, says, sorry, I missed. See you later. I'm going to go to the bar or something. Yeah. You do not need a kid who is going to – I guarantee you he's going to spend the next week until they play on Thursday night in his own head. That's just counterproductive to what th- this team needs. And I will come back to this. This is a special circumstance, Phil. This is a 13-win team, 14 if you include the playoff game, that has Super Bowl aspirations. There's no time for I'm going to get cute here. There is only time for how do we get to Atlanta. So here's something else to note. We know the Vikings, especially with their new facility. Rick Spielman just spoke at length in uh, a national article from, I think it was Monday Morning Quarterback that came out last week. Or no, it was The Ringer. It might have been The Ringer. They're very forward-thinking when it comes to analytics. It's fair to say that, right? I don't know if they're the most analytical team, but the Vikings are definitely analytically forward, if you will. All right? Absolutely. There is a website called footballoutsiders.com that does a lot of analytical, in-depth stuff for every position in football. The Vikings last year on special teams, now this includes all aspects of special teams, ranked 18th in the NFL according to Football Outsiders. So let's just say league average. They're 18th in the NFL, which is just a tick below league average. Uh, They also break it down by where they fell field goals and extra points, where they fell uh, in kickoffs, kick returns, punts, everything. But let's focus on kickoffs and field goals slash extra points. The Vikings were below average, kind of between that 16 to 20 range in both expected points gained in field goal slash extra points compared to the rest of the league and also in kickoffs. So is it possible that looking into the numbers and whatnot, um, that Rick Spielman and company said, you know, Kai Forbath, his, what he's contributing to the special teams portion of what we do here, it's below average, and we need to be better in that area. And I think that's, that's absolutely correct logic. Okay, well, we have maybe a slightly below average kicker on our hands here. But to then go the next step and say that a guy who was well below average in terms of the results in yes. college as a senior, yes. that he's going to be a step up from Kai Forbath, is not accounting for the worst-case scenario. I think the floor for Daniel Carlson is, oh, my God, we have to cut him in week four bad. Yeah, yeah he's And he's shown you really nothing to nothing different in the preseason to you know, make you think positively. Yes. So it's almost like... They got so fixated on well, Forbath, man, we need we need someone who's top ten in this, top ten in that. Yep. And uh, and they fell in love with the idea of replacing him. And the reality is, they might have stepped in a pothole here. So let's meld. All That's right. a lot of panic right there in the first ten minutes of the show. Okay, let's mel- let's meld with what you just said, which I believe to be true, and which in some circumstances makes absolute sense. Let's meld that with lessons learned, though, and go to Blair Walsh. Drafted him in the sixth round. 
Now, Blair Walsh had a great rookie season. So if you're a diehard Vikings fan, you, you could come back and say, but Judd, he was fantastic. All right, I would argue this. He had a bad last year at Georgia. He came here and did have a fantastic year. But keep in mind, he had a fantastic year for a team coming off a 3-13 and season. So Blair Walsh stepped into a situation with little pressure and in which you could actually make the case that the move made sense. 3-13 and team, mm-hmm. you're looking for a long-term kicker. So what I don't get, though, is then you saw the pressure mount on Blair Walsh, and it got worse, and it got really bad, yeah. and then it got horrible. So if you're Spielman, wouldn't you meld, wouldn't you meld the, the potential statistical analysis that you discussed with lessons learned and say this probably is not the place to do this right now? Yeah, per- yes, personally. Again, who knows? Maybe this dude, maybe this is Legatron version 2.0 because you know what? If he gives you the Blair Walsh rookie season, it's a great move, and it probably helps you get to the Super Bowl. Right, right. but it's but, but it's more pre- but that? he's stepping into pressure though. Correct. My my, my point is Blair Walsh joined a team, and they're like, "Welcome aboard, kid. We stunk last yeah. year." Daniel Carlson joins a, a team, and it's like, "Dude, we have aspirations of a Super Bowl." Yeah. And you know what? The perfect guy was out there, and he kicked for the Seahawks on Friday night. Sebastian Janikowski. That would have been fun at the very least. Well, and he but he's a Zimmer type of guy. He's like 40, right? Is he yeah. in his 40s? He's old. He's old. I think he drinks during games. I know he smokes during games. He puts his flask and cigarette he, down on the 30-yard line. He's built like a nose tackle, and he doesn't care, and he's got a huge leg. Yes. And he's the type of guy who, if, huge gut. Yep. who if he misses and Zim confronts him, he'll probably beat him yeah. up. That's actually a good point about the confrontational aspect here. I don't think Daniel Carlson's going to be the type of kid that responds well to either getting benched in favor of two-point conversions or punished or called out in the media. You know, this is, we're not, you're not dealing with a crusty veteran, like right. you're saying. So, I don't know, man. It's hard not to look at this and say, boy, this is a, this is a gamble. If, this, if Daniel Carlson were clear-cut, lights out all the way through college, you, you might have said, okay, he's just going to, he's going to work out the early nerves. It's no different than the first time uh, a PGA Tour golfer Steps foot on the tee box. Thank you, Sweet Martha's Cookies. Oh, day, day Always three. a pleasure. Thank you. Um, it's, you ever see these, these golfers who they, they, uh, they get the lead in a major for the first time on a Sunday, and they're teeing off in the crowd in the gallery. It's a Tiger Woods gallery, and they've never done that before on a Sunday as the last tee. And, and your heart's just pounding, and you've got to get used to it, right? Yep. Um, but I think you're layering the nerve factor on top of the ineffective factor, and we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I want a Janikowski. Good thing the Vikings don't have a history of kickers screwing. I want a Janikowski. I think it would have been so much fun. <laughs> Just a guy who appears to not give a damn. Yeah. He once roofied himself. That's all you need to know about Sebastian Janikowski. That's right. I forgot about that. He once went to a bar, and he took a roofie and passed out. And he gave it to How himself. How crazy is that guy? You know what, though? Zim's not going to bother him. <laughs> if Mike gets down on him, he's going to be like, sorry, Mike. See ya. Bye. I need to find that story. Um, plenty more Vikings. Jason Stark is going to join us a day early as well here at 9.30 via the phone. Kevin Seifert will talk some Vikings and NFL with him at 10 o'clock. Matthew Collar expected to be out here between 11 and 1 o'clock. Mackie and Judd were hanging out at the 1500 ESPN booth. If you're out at the State Fair, it's uh, you're looking at the grandstand. It's, it's on the left edge of the grandstand just across the street from Sweet Martha's Cookies. And we might even give you some because a full bucket was just delivered to us. I've not had one in two days yet, and I don't plan on having one today because, as I said, once I start, yeah. I don't stop. Well, this is day 30 of a whole 30 here, so I'm not going to have one today. But tomorrow, 
Look out. <laughs> I, I love how it's and really helped. Lindsey Brown had just put nine in her mouth. Yeah, but right she, now, plays, <laughs> she plays sports. She can do that. I can't. She has metabolism. She's in good shape. I'm not. Uh, all right, we're coming back. Mackie and Judd, uh, the TCL broadcast studios have moved out here to the fair for the duration that we're out here. And like I said, Jason Stark shortly, Kevin Seifert, and Matthew Collar later on. Um, no. To not to avoid going on pup for the regular season, or how does that work? Well, he's going to practice when he's ready to go. So I don't know when that's going to be. You think it's likely he'll start the season on the pup list? Uh, no, I don't think so. All right, Mike Zimmer <laughs> talking about Pat Elfline. They did trade for a, a Giants interior offensive line. He's a center, but I'm, I'm assuming if needed, he could play guard. Yes, What's he could play ball. on this guy. Yeah, he uh, Brett Jones. He is. Uh, Played in the CFL for a few years and has been with the Giants since 2015. 14 starts for the, or, or I'm sorry, he's played in 30 regular season games for the Giants. Made 14 starts, 12 at center, 2 at left guard. They've also had a disastrous offensive line, the Giants have, over the past few years. Yes, they have. So, not a, you're not exactly pulling from the cream I, of the crop offensive line collection here. I am uh, not being a smartass when I say your hope on the, this one hopes to be, has to be that Pat Shermer actually did you a favor so because this guy was was with the Giants second team line Mm -hmm. and my guess is they called Pat up and said we'll send you a seventh round pick we're begging you Pat yeah and the hope has to be that he's (laughs) like okay this this guy is basically as close to Joe Berger as you're possibly going to get yeah but but it's a good move because the one thing they could not do with, with where they fall in the waiver process is wait for final cuts and then pluck some complete piece of garbage off that wire so at least here they did what you should do which is just send a late trade for a piece of garbage instead i would rather trade i would rather trade for a piece of garbage garbage that you might be able to shine into a diamond than trade for something that's going to end up being a a tin can from the sewer he has started the equivalent of one full season almost in the nfl so we'll see yep i found this is from san francisco gate.com from from the year 2000, I found the Sebastian Janikowski story that okay. you referenced. Okay. So this is almost two decades ago. I'm just going to read this. Place kicker Sebastian Janikowski, the Raiders' first-round draft choice, is in legal trouble again because he had a bunch of stuff yes. early on. Yep. It's the fifth, fifth brush with the law for Janikowski and potentially the most serious. J- Janikowski, who just last week was acquitted of trying to bribe a police officer was arrested early yesterday outside a bar a block from the Florida State University campus in Tallahassee on a felony charge of possession of a controlled substance, which we'll get to in a second. Mm -hmm. He spent the night and part of the morning in the Leon County Jail and was released on $2,500 bond, according to uh, an attorney in the state's attorney office. A police spokesman in Tallahassee said Janikowski was arrested and charged with possession of gamma hydroxy Butyric acid, yep. GHB, yep. the so-called, well, 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 I'll just say roofie drug. Yes. A teaspoon of the compound mixed with alcohol can render a person unconscious within 20 minutes. The arrest was made outside a bar named Potbelly's at 1219 a.m. Which is fitting for Sebastian yeah. Janikowski. <laughs> or me. This is from almost 20 years ago, by the way. Um, by a university police officer working with Joint Patrol and yada, yada, yada. Uh, here's more on the story here. 
So he was, I'm trying to figure, was he, was he just using it for himself or was he passing it around? I've always had the idea, you know, if you're going to go all out, you could throw a New Year's party and just have it be like, you could be roofie roulette and everyone buys in. I felt. You, you pass out on the couch. I felt like in that story, <laughs> he did it to himself because he was that crazy. He's 40 now. He's 40 now. So Watch so, how long I can stay awake. But in 19, but in 19, or in 2000, right, that, when that, that story's from? He was, what, about 22 or so? Yeah. So, you know, yeah, he was a complete nut job. But he is, I, I'm telling you, Phil, he's the type of kicker I want right now because he's not going to care. He's, he's going to make long kicks. He's going to boom the ball. Yeah. He's going to eat all your food. He's not going to eat any of your healthy food. Where's Blair Walsh now? I think he's out of football right now. I don't the, think the he's Seahawks like, moved on from him. The Seahawks did, and I don't think I, I've seen his name pop up in tryouts. But I think he became such a mental mess yeah. that a- after he failed with the Seahawks, I think teams just said, uh-uh. Yeah, he's currently play. a free agent right now. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, that, that's not, if, if, if you're trying to go off the Blair Walsh blueprint with this Daniel Carlson thing, I mean, look, look what happened. <laughs> so let's, let's, we've, we, we've done 20 minutes on the kickers. So let me pivot and ask you this. Now that we've seen the most meaningful portion of the Vikings preseason here, yep. uh, they do have the, the fourth preseason game on Thursday. It's mostly just for backups and fringe roster guys. What's your best and worst case scenario for the Vikings, and has it changed at all? Has your opinion changed in the last month? Yeah, yes, it has. Uh, I'll start with worst case first. Um, the offensive line still scares me. The offensive line, it's just and and listen, just to be very clear here, there's two conversations because I think I think now now Vikings fans are becoming uh, confused and thinking that I've I've bashed this entire thing and and that I think that that they should have had all of these backups set to go, which mm-hmm. is not true. Finding, As people have said now for two weeks, and they're right, finding offensive line depth is damn near impossible. In fact, finding good starters can be tough, all right? So the two conversations to me offensive line-wise are this. The one is they didn't draft a guard. I think that was a mistake. I would have taken a guard high, and I would have plugged that person in at, uh, at, at left guard, and I, and I would have felt much more comfortable about my chances. The fact that Elfline's still not back, you don't just have a center set to go. Like, Easton was going to be the guy, and I can tell you that, that the kid that they plugged in who was their third-string guy, you can't do that. That's not fair. He might be good eventually, but not now. Uh, so worst case, worst case is the protection for Cousins is not there, and that's a mammoth problem. He needs The one thing he needs and the one thing that Case had was Case could scramble and throw, and Cousins can't. If Cousins has time, he can be incredibly effective. But that might be impacted now. Yep. So worst, ca- worst case is the offensive line breaks down, has holes, has problems, and the kicker struggles, and that co- costs you games. I think the defense is going to be outstanding. Uh, but best case is still optimistic as hell. This defense is great. The Iloka addition to me is incredibly smart. It does not mean that Sandejo is out. It means that you now have more options. Defensively, I think Hunter's going to have a mammoth season. He looks like he's going to be – he looks like he's gone from being very, very good to potentially great. Um, best case, the, the offensive line protects Cousins well enough that by the fifth game or so, they start to come around and this team offensively scores points. So best case remains, remains you – I don't think you win 13 games, Phil, just because your schedule gets more and more difficult. But I think the best case still remains that you win 11 games, 10 games, and make a Super Bowl run. Yeah, I uh, I think worst case is still not that bad. There are there are a couple shipwrecky things, and you mentioned them with kicker and offensive line. But I think even even with those things being questions, 
seven and nine would be a di- the disaster scenario. I think is like seven and nine for this team. Yeah, I'd agree. With um, that. I don't think they're going to win as many games in the regular season, but I still think the best case scenario is like a twelve and four, um, and they I, and they win the Super Bowl. I think best case scenario. I'll just cut to the most important part. The best case scenario is they win the Super Bowl, and I wouldn't say that about. A lot of Vikings teams. I don't know if I would have said that about last year's Vikings team going into the year, oh, even I, with Sam Bradford being healthy in week one. I wouldn't have. Uh, but I, I will say that about this team. Now, what percentage of the time, if you play the season out 100 times, do they win the Super Bowl? Less than 10. Yeah. But, but you probably say that about every non-Patriots team, I don't, right? I don't, think, I don't think that this preseason should alter the fact that we still, still see this as a Super Bowl-type team. I don't know if they win it or not. Yeah, but I do. But I do think that there's still this defense flat out is so good that I don't think there's been anything we've seen where we now just dismiss that and say, "Oh, it's nine wins." It, it's also funny how the the higher the expectations go. So when you start putting Super Bowl in the same sentence of, of, of expectations, the more minutia you start to key in on in terms of gripes, right? Yep. I mean, you wouldn't be sitting here two years ago worried about, well, you know. Pat Alflang gonna be back week one or week four, or whatever. Like, does it? He'll be he'll be back, and he's the long term center. Um, but if you get off to a slow start because you don't have your starting center, and that affects your chances to get to the playoffs and win the Super Bowl, so yeah. you're gonna we're gonna get much more finite with our criticism of this team because we've put Super Bowl in the expectations label. And the thing that you can't control, and where where they had very good fortune in 2017, injuries on defense. That's the one thing. But there's nothing that you can do about that. Yeah. But you are. If you look at, and, and I, I get that Bradford got hurt, so it's not like they didn't lose a crucial player to that team. But when you look at defensively, uh, the fact that they, for the most part, kept that defense, which is outstanding, on the field, and the continu- continuity stayed there, I guess my question becomes, does that luck reverse a bit? And if it does, but if it does, I still think you're going to be good defensively because they're just so well-coached. Yeah. We'll get back to Vikings. Kevin Seifert will join us in about a half hour. Matthew Collar will be up here at the 1500 ESPN uh, stage from 11 to 1 o'clock. Jason Stark, usually our guest at 1130 on Thursdays, will join us when we come back. We'll talk some baseball, maybe sprinkling some twins. He usually stumps us with trivia. It's Mackie and Judd from the Minnesota State Fair. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Now, now, with MLB Network contributor and senior baseball writer with The Athletic, Jason Stark. Brought to you by Grundhofer's Old Fashioned Meats. Bring the excitement of Grundhofer's to your next cookout. All righty. Bad news here, Judd. The Vikings just announced they waived your favorite player. Center from Western Illinois, Jacob Judd. Oh, Judd only lasted a week. Jacob Judd. Oh, that's a shame. I had great hopes for Jacob Man. Judd. We're live at the Minnesota State Fair. Jason Stark, uh, what kind of state fair do they have in Pennsylvania? <laughs> Jason? We got Jason? Hello? I think we lost Jason. I just heard it. I just heard he it. It's possible he just hung up on us. Ominous too. click. Like, I don't want to talk He didn't about like that idea. <laughs> no state fairs there. You can't compete with this one. Have so. you had any food at all here? Have you had any snacks? Oh, yeah. Turkey oh, to go? Tur- turkey to go. Turkey to go. Okay. Sa- uh, I've had the turkey to go uh, breakfast sandwich once or twice. I love that sandwich. Yeah. Oh, it's so good, and especially with the slice of cheese on top, the turkey, and, and then the egg on the bottom. Oh, the F- Turkey yeah, the to egg. go, you cannot go wrong. And, and the greatest thing about it is I don't feel guilty. Like, no, I, I eat it, and I don't feel like if you're I'm ranking, a fat slob. Yeah, I mean, if you're ranking state fair foods based on guilt factor, it's definitely one of the, the five closest to guilt-free. I would add pork chop on a stick to that, too. Yeah. Eh, 
Oh, we got Jason Are we ready? back here. All right, we'll get back to our food discussion. <laughs> Jason, we're at the Minnesota State Fair broadcasting live all week, which is the second largest state fair in America. It's just seas of people and food. Uh, what's the what What's the Pennsylvania State Fair like? Do you ever partake? Uh, there's not really a true Pennsylvania State Fair. There's a lot of you know local fairs. There is theoretically a Pennsylvania State Fair, but it's um, it, it's not what you're thinking of. <laughs> like my wife is from York, PA, and the York Fair is a huge deal with, you know, the cotton candy and the trucks that come and give you frozen half frozen lemonade and the, the rides. That that's what you're talking about. The Pennsylvania State Fair is is more of a commercial endeavor. The problem with fairs is they just make you fat. That's the problem. That's a good, well, that, I mean, that's a a good life, fair. That's a life choice. A good, fa- a good fair just makes you fatter by the time that you depart that day, Jason. Well, what's your point? That's what's wrong with that? Well, you, you're an indecent shaped guy. I look at food and gain ten pounds. So, see, that's my problem. I'm snow like Jason. I think about food. I gain weight. I get moved to first base, then DH, and then get sent to Florida. Right, so it's not like it doesn't matter if we go to the fair and we get fatter. Like, I wouldn't send Miguel Snow to the fair. Let's not do that. No, that's a good death. They used I to do that. They stopped, I, to be honest. I don't know if the Dominican Republic has a fair, but either way, he should, he should stay away. Tell us the story about the guy who took three days to get three hits in one day. A very Starkian-like nugget. Baseball's awesome, right? It's just awesome. So this was... Um, this was a minor league feat, and you know, thanks to suspended games, you have time travel. <laughs> so the guy who did this is Mike Yastrzemski, and yeah, he's Carl Yastrzemski's grandson. Wow, he's an outfielder in the Orioles system, plays for Norfolk AAA, and they begin a doubleheader on August first, and the, the doubleheader gets suspended. So they had to resume it last week, and it, 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 I mean, it's a long story. They had all kinds of weather problems. Uh, when they resumed it, they had a doubleheader gone it, beyond that. But anyway, he, he gets a hit at 11.45 p.m., and then he gets another hit in that game at 1.15 in the morning. And it all started on August 1st. So all those hits are recorded as having happened on August 1st. But, in fact, they happened over three different days. Baseball. There you Baseball go. is awesome. You're, you're so right. Uh, so, Jason, you, with all of the um, oddities that you love to keep track of, what is the one thing that you, in, in your time, have never seen that you've thought up that you would love to see in baseball. Like, what's the weird? What's the weirdest thing when Jason Stark is th- is daydreaming to himself about the next thing that you would like to put in your extensive collection of notes? What's something that you haven't seen that you've thought up and thought this would be really cool to see? You know, I've I've got a I've got a warped mind. I think a lot of stuff. Um, I love you. Like I was, you know, we had two games over the weekend, right, where there were eight run eighth innings, and I was thinking. I wonder if there's ever been a nine-run ninth inning and a ten-run tenth inning and an eleven-run eleventh inning. I'd like to just keep going like that, but I'd, I know that's probably impossible. Um, I, you know, I would love to see a game where, like, they just couldn't get the first inning over with. 
you know, each team just kept scoring and scoring and scoring. And we talk about how baseball is timeless and we could actually have a game that could theoretically never end. That's what I'd love to see. A game that just, they just give up. They just say, hey, we got to get to on. We got to get to the next city. See ya. Could, what do you think? What are, your, what are your theories on at some point in the regular season putting a stop on extra innings in some form? I know we've talked about expediting it, putting a runner on second base, but um, are you in the camp that says, you know what, if it's Tuesday night and a game goes till 2 o'clock in the morning, so be it? Yeah, but see, I like that. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm the oddity king. Yeah. I like it when a game goes 20 and – you know, position players are playing the outfield, and, <laughs> and the shortstop gets the win, and and somebody gets the uh, you know pitcher gets the walk off pinch hit at four in the morning. I'm I am all for that, but I don't have to play. So I understand why baseball would want to take some kind of action on that in the minor leagues. I am really opposed to it happening in the big leagues because, like these really super long games, how often do they happen? They're once or twice. A year, maybe. Yep. So it, like, to me, the the lore that goes with that is worth it. You know, to think, you know, there's been a lot of conversation over the last couple of weeks, for instance, that the you know the Red Sox are going to abandon their longtime AAA home in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, the Pawtucket Red Sox, and the longest game in professional, you know, modern professional history took place there. That 33 inning game over two days. Wade Boggs played in it, and Cal Ripken played in it. And there are books written about it. Yep. I don't want to see that go away. Am I crazy? No, no. In fact, I. this is great. When did you – I'm going to tell you a quick story and ask you, when did you first realize that baseball-wise you, you were a bit odd? Because I'll tell you mine. I think it was July 4th of 83-ish or so. We had just gotten cable, right? And that's the legendary uh, Braves-Mets game that I think Rick Camp – homered in the pitch yeah and i'm not kidding you i think it was around 3 30 or 4 in the morning central time and my mom comes downstairs and she's mad and she's like why are you still up what are you doing what are you watching and i'm like mom this is the greatest ever this game won't end and she's like what are you just go to bed what are you talking about and i was like 13 but that's the first time baseball wise i realized i was an odd duck or I, I, I'm not sure exactly the first time, but I, I would say when I was covering baseball, when I realized I'd become that guy, was that the fabled 1993 Phillies team that played the doubleheader that ended at 4.41 a.m. on the Mitch Williams walk-off hit, and then a few days later, played a 20-inning game that ended at 2.45 a.m. And, like, I, that just... I, I, I know I wrote a column, a gigantic column about that team in that week. I, I easily could have written, like, a miniseries. And people at that point just expected that that's what I would do. They expected that I would... I would go to the park the next day or go to the clubhouse at 5 in the morning and collect all the funny quotes. Um, you know, the, the Larry Anderson quote about how uh, this team does some of its best work between 2 in the morning and 5 in the morning, and I don't know if he was talking about baseball there. Yeah. Um, or 
you know, the drunks wandering into their 4.41 a.m. game at 2, 3 in the morning, and Andy Ben is telling me, because he was Padre then, right? Nobody went to their games. He said, we, you know, we had more people going through the turnstiles here at 3 in the morning than we have at our regular games in San Diego. So that just became my thing. And now, like, there's never a day that goes by where either people aren't tweeting at me saying, you would know this, or you would love this, or you can help me answer this. Or if I'm in a press box, people wandering up to me saying, only you would get a kick out of this, or only you would appreciate this. And like This has just become my niche. I'm the guy who collects the weirdness and the wackiness of baseball. I, like, I think it's good. I think most people... Mean it as a compliment? I'm not 100 percent sure, but no, it, it's definitely it's a compliment. my niche now. It's, it's definitely my thing. It's hard. To, well, it, it's hard now in not just baseball writing and media, but in sports media and all kinds of media to stand out. And so, number one, it's a compliment to you because you've been able to carve out a, a noticeable and valuable niche. But I want I want to go even a step further here. I feel like as we sit here and try to diagnose baseball and where it's going, and we have these conversations on a regular basis these days, the best thing, aside from just the structure of football being a once-a-week event, which baseball can't replicate, the best thing the NFL has going over the past 50 years is the storytelling aspect of NFL films. I mean, watching Hard Knocks on a weekly basis. I finally caught up on Hard Knocks this weekend. You get these inside looks at the sport that you love, and I'd love to know if you could go back in time, Jason, 50 years and document baseball as closely as NFL Films has documented football and have some of these benchmark shows. I know we had This Week in Baseball for a long time, but if we had more benchmark shows like that to tell the behind-the-curtain uh, stories publicly, I'd love to know where baseball would be right now from a marketing standpoint uh, compared to where it is. Huh, that's, I mean, that's a really interesting concept. Uh, like, I would, I mean, I would watch every minute of those shows. I would, I would love to see that. Um, but why do you, you know, football, because, again, because it's once a week, there's more time to reflect. There's more time to reenact those stories. And there's more time for people who love football to watch those stories than in baseball, where during baseball season, you're like that team you follow is playing every night. It's playing all the time. When you're not working, that your team is playing probably. And so when would people watch it? I guess that's I guess that's my question. Yeah, there's no room to come up for air, right? I mean, you're just yeah. you're watching you're off watching season, maybe. Team. Yeah, off season. But it'd be so much fun. Day? It wouldn't be fun to know, like in the like, watching Hard Knocks, and you get these conversations where um, what's his name, rookie receiver from Florida, gets gets arrested. And you see the behind-the-scenes conversation with him, the general manager, and the head coach. Yep. I would love to see stuff in the manager's office, right? And they have they documented the Giants one year, but just more uh, stuff. Marlins. Like yep. Remember that one? Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. That went well. <laughs> hey, hey, speaking of what makes baseball great too, here's something else I absolutely love about the sport: the concept, the the NBA, as we've talked about, Jason, the NBA concept of tanking, which we're like, you know, the Pirates are going to tank, and here's the team that I absolutely love, and this is what makes baseball special: Tampa Bay, right? Tampa Bay has traded everybody. They've gone with new strategies. They've done things where if you put it in in basketball, for instance, they probably would be just a, a terrible team. Yet they've won eight consecutive games, what just swept the uh, Red Sox. The Tampa Bay Rays, 
are are an incredibly fun team. And I look at them and their success, and I say, how do they do it? But yet, I come back to, it's also baseball. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, they're, they're just off the national radar screen for the most part. But, you know, maybe the fact that they're doing things so differently this year has caused more conversation about them than at any time since maybe the, the 2008 World Series ended. Um, I, I was thinking about this uh, over the weekend myself. I, like, I can't think of a more unorthodox team. They got the same record as the Dodgers. Really? Like, I, never, I never thought that would be possible at any moment this season. And yet, they, they've done it even though they traded away their, or, or just dumped, in the case of Corey Dickerson, right? They non-tendered him, uh, or they DFE'd him. They traded away their four leading home run hitters. They traded away their closer and their leadoff hitter in May. They were basically selling at the deadline, although they did do a little adding. They, trade, they did trade for Tommy Pham. They, they went through a period where they had basically no starting rotation. Yeah. Right? They, Archer was traded. Blake Snell was on the DL. Evaldi was traded. Um, it, it, like, I can't remember any team like this ever since I've been covering baseball, and they have found the most unorthodox ways to win of any team I can ever remember. But because they're in a, in a division with two behemoths and a league with five behemoths, it, you know, it's not, some team with their record is going to play in October, and they're going to miss by, like, ten games. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we got about, uh, I don't know, a minute and a half left for some trivia. We don't have the fancy music because we're, we're sitting out here without our usual uh, computer at the State Fair, but we would take you stumping us here uh, for the next 90 seconds, Jason, if you got it. Okay. All right, we'll try to do this quick. This is oh, we based do music. on Jim Tomei. Uh, so the question is, three guys who have hit at least 35 homers for the Twins, but 100 homers for two other teams. Uh, so 100 homers. Wait, so 35 homers for the Twins. Right. So they, they had an impact on the Twins, but really hit 100 for two other teams. So this is 35 homers not in one season for the Twins necessarily. No. Okay. Correct. So Jim Tomey and then you said two others. Um, Ortiz get up to 35? Yeah, he did, there, but he only had two others. I was thinking there were three, but there's two. Okay. I, I was thinking Torrey Hunter, but obviously Torrey did it. Hit 100 for the Twins and Angels. So there's two others. And uh, Ortiz Ortiz hit a hit more than 35 with the Twins and hit a bunch with the Red Sox. But we need another team. Yeah, Ortiz is the gimme here. Yep. Hmm. I'm trying to think of players who had little cups of coffee with the Twins. Okay. Did Brett? Did Brett? Brett Boone, no way. There's no way Brett Boone. No. Because he didn't. Oh, he no, didn't no, 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 no. He yeah, got yeah, cut yeah. really quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sure. was awful. Um, yeah. That's a, this is an amazing so, question. So, just to be clear, too, are the home runs, is that uh, combined for the other teams, or is that he hit 30? He hit at least 100 for, 100 apiece for two other teams. Wow. Okay. Because I would sprinkled in some with the Twins. This is not a guess, but I was going to say possibly Brunanski, but I don't think, I don't know whether he got up to 100 for two other teams. Man. What about, um, did Chili Davis do it? Yes! Oh, good. Wow. Nice. That is good work. 
Wow. Nice. What that right there? Joe Davis was the I mean, original it, one. It, you know what's hard is try to figure out how many home runs these guys hit for the Twins. I was thinking Dave Winfield had to be an answer. Didn't hit 35 for the Twins. No, nope. he didn't. No um, Joey Davis hit 101 for the Giants, 156 for the Angels. How about Paul Molitor? No. Uh, Paul Molitor, I don't have him on my list, so he must not have hit. Yeah. Thirty-five yeah, for the Well, we for time reasons alone, Jason, we surrender here. We totally would have gotten it if we had another sixty seconds to stumble over ourselves. What's the other one? Uh, I, it, I thought you didn't you guess the other one? <clears throat> Did I said Brunanski? Uh, Chili Davis was one of our oh, guests. And, and David Ortiz. Oh, David Ortiz. Oh, Ortiz. oh I got you. Okay, okay, yeah. right on. So two okay. So we got it then. There it is. You got it. You did well. We so did get it. Great, Jason Stark. Hey, thank you very much. We'll congratulations, talk next week, to us, man. Stark. See ya. <laughs> Thanks. That was exciting. I think. Yeah, exactly. All right. <laughs> I'm not sure either. Bye, bye, bye. Jason. All right, Mackie and Judd live from the Minnesota State Fair. Seifert in about 12 minutes. The Great Minnesota Get-Together is finally here. While you're making your state fair plans, be sure to add 1500 ESPN to your list. Swing by our booth on the corner of Dan Patch and Chambers to watch all your favorite shows broadcast live right from our front porch. Check out the new merchandise in the Pro Shop. More details at 1500ESPN.com. Thank you, Jonathan. Jonathan and James have been doing an awesome job behind the scenes for every show you hear at the Minnesota State Fair from Mackie and Judd all the way through Garage Logic and the, the ride with Royce. Uh, chances are behind the scenes, it's Jonathan or James Murphy pushing buttons and doing unheralded work. So thanks to those guys. Kevin Seifert will join us via phone to uh, discuss Vikings and other NFL items in about seven or eight minutes from now. Real quick here, Judd, I know you had Derek Falvey on the show last Friday. Yes. And, uh, and I was back doing a bunch of uh, paper pushing back at the studio, but... Is, does it sound like the Joe Maurer decision at the end of the year, which has now become a little more complicated because Tyler Austin's hitting home runs all over Target Field. He's 26 years old. They acquired him in that Yankees trade for Lance Lynn. I want Tyler Austin to get as many at-bats as possible, and I want him to play some first base too. Um, it's not just going to be Derek Falvey and Thad Levine's decision on Joe Maurer, it sounds like. Well, it wasn't quite clear, but I mean, my theory is is that if Joe goes to the poll ads and says, I'd, I'd like to play an, another year or two, that the poll ads, that's the one thing that Jim is probably going to come downstairs and say he's playing. Hmm. I just, I don't, of all, I really do think that for the most part, the uh, the poll ads have done a good job of turning the keys to the car over to Falvey, but in this one, I think if Joe says I'm playing, he's playing. And everybody's made it very clear that this is totally up to Joe. Because I go back to the... The uh, Jim Polad quote to Sid about a month ago or so, which made it pretty clear that this is going to be in Joe's, it's going to be up to Joe. Derek said there will be no decisions made until October. So I think they basically want the season to end and then and then say, do you still want to play? If so, if well, so now, now the interesting they, they've thing, They've made though, their decision, I bet. I bet they've made their decision. And the, and the interesting thing, though, is, okay, I think it's up to Joe if Joe wants to play, but is it up to Joe how much he then does play? Because yeah. you're right. I mean, there's there are intriguing directions to go here with Austin and at first base, where they could say to him, "Joe, you can continue to play, and we will, and we will keep you." Yeah. But it's not going to be. You're not going to be used as much. Um, last Sunday in the Pioneer Press, too, Charlie Walters had a speculative note, which I think probably came from a source. Uh, I want to say two years, eleven million per for Joe. 
So it sounds like something's in, in the works here already. I think okay. Joe. I think Joe's coming back. Well, two years. You know what? Here's the thing: two years, eleven million dollars for Joe, and, and this is where a platoon situation might make sense. So Joe would face more right-handed pitching, and he would sit. Let's say Joe plays three days a week, and maybe comes in pinch hits. And Tyler Austin, you can isolate him against left-handed pitching, especially because he destroys left-handed pitching. And um, and then maybe hand the baton off, and then of course Tyler Austin could get DH at bats. I I just think locking yourself into full time Joe Mauer, I think that's a would, would be a mistake. If, if you want him as an on base guy yep. and you isolate him, keep him healthy against pitchers that he's going to hit really well against, then okay. But but to to say that he just comes back and he's a full time first baseman, no. you know I know he's a good defensive first baseman, but he's also going to be in his mid thirties, thirty five years old, and you start to lose that even. I think age. with where this team is going, this would be a splendid time to say goodbye. Sure, for for him, for him just to say, you know what, it's been great. My wife's pregnant. I've got the two girls. I've made millions and millions. It's been fantastic. I'm done. Yeah. All right, Kevin Seifert's going to join us. He uh, knows a lot about football, so we're going to ask him football questions. Talk about the Vikings. Let's first discuss the national clearance event that's going on at Luther Rail Toyota on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. So 2019 models are starting to trickle in here, and that means 2018's got to go. And they want to make great deals happen for you, such as $2,500 rebates and also 0% financing on... Let me think here. I think it's 600 different 2018s are on the lot right now. So you can you can check in on the Camrys, the Corollas, the RAV4s, uh, various trucks. There's lease options as well. I love turning over every two to three years and just experiencing the new safety features and the technology that they upgrade with that Entune system 3.0. So, again, corner of 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard. Open until 9 o'clock tonight. If you walk in the showroom area, ask for Paula. Tell them Phil Mackey sent you. Uh, the service guys have been helping my family for 30-plus years. Or LutherBrookdaleToyota.com.